Today's reading is from John 14, verses 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may also be. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and, in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything... I will do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. My name's Emily. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our sermon series called I Am, which is not about who we are. It's about who Jesus says he is. Many times in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us about himself in these statements, and all those statements begin with the same two words, I am. We have studied so far Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. Today we hear another metaphor from Jesus. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. What will we learn from Jesus from this statement today? Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us today, that we might be able to step inside it and walk around and hear your voice and hear you very clearly. We love you and seek to grow in our faith, not only today, but always. And all of this we pray to you today, Lord. That the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord. For you are our rock and our refuge and our redeemer and the good shepherd and the vine. And it is in your name that we pray this day. As all God's people say, Amen. When my sister and her husband first got married... She decided she wanted to bake a cake for their first holiday together, July 4th. 
And so she got out that brand new 9 by 13 dish and greased it and floured it and baked a cake from scratch. It was the recipe that our mom used to make often, and we used it so often the recipe was taped inside one of the cabinet doors in the kitchen. So my sister was so excited to share this family tradition with her husband, and she put it out on the table after supper, and he said, where is the frosting? (laughs) And our family... We never put frosting on that cake. Our dad didn't like frosting, so we didn't put it on any of the cakes, really. It just wasn't the way we did things. That was what we had learned. It was all about the cake. That was the way. To which he responded, but the whole point of cake is to carry the frosting. (laughs) In his family, that's what he had learned. His mom put frosting on everything and lots of it. It was all about the frosting. That was the way. What do you think? Is it all about the cake or for you online? Is it all about the cake? I don't see any hands. Is it all about the frosting? (laughs) Or maybe it's all about both. (laughs) Well, fortunately, my sister and her husband did not split up over this discrepancy. They have told this story for now over 30-some years, and they learned to work together. And now, in the same 9 by 13, half of the cake has no frosting, and half of the cake has frosting and lots of it. (laughs) We learn how to do things, how to function in this world. We learn away from those adults around us when we're growing up, don't we? For better or worse. We brush our teeth the way our parents did. We cut the grass the way our grandparents did. We bake cake and prepare it like adults around us did. This is the way that we learn a way and a pattern, a way of being in this world from them. The same was true back when Jesus was growing up. The same was true back when the Gospel of John was being written. That kids back then learned to the way to function and live in this world by the adults who were around them. Their parents, their close-knit community. So that children growing up when the Gospel of John was written learned how to cook fish from the adults who were around them and how to live and move. The same was true in a more formal arrangement for rabbis and disciples. Jesus is not only the son of God. Jesus is also a rabbi who chose people to be his students, his disciples who would learn from him the way, the way to move in this world, the way to be in this world, the way to pray, the way to be in relationship with God. And how did they learn it? By watching, by observation, by what he said, what he did, what he taught, how they noticed him moving about in this world day after day. This was how the disciples learned to follow Jesus. This was the way. And after Jesus died and rose from the dead, his followers were known as followers of the way. You see references to it in the book of Acts in the New Testament. You'll see that in Acts 9, verse 2, Acts 18, 25, and a couple of places in Acts chapter 19, the followers of Jesus were known as people of the way.
And Jesus says in the 14th chapter of John today, I am the way and the truth and the life. Let's put that statement into context. It comes at the beginning of what we call the farewell discourse, which begins at the beginning of chapter 14 and runs all the way through chapter 17 in this gospel. This is a very long goodbye from Jesus to his closest followers right before his death. He's preparing them for his death and for their life to come after it. And just prior to where 14 starts is chapter 13. Something's very important happen in chapter 13. Jesus is with the 12 disciples, those closest to him. They've had their last meal together. He's washed their feet. And then Judas, one of the 12, leaves the group to go out and betray Jesus to the authorities. Then 11 are left in the room, right? And Jesus tells them that he's giving them a new commandment to love each other and love each other well as he has loved them. And if they do that, they will be recognizable as his followers. This is the way. And then when 14 begins, Jesus starts this long farewell preparing them for his arrest, his trial, his death. And so in this intimate, close-knit setting with these closest followers, these who have been following him for so long, he says, you can't follow me where I'm going this time. But don't let your hearts be troubled by this. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places or rooms in which to abide. And I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you'll be with me again because you know the way to the place I am going. They try to understand this. And they misunderstand, as people often do in the Gospel of John, when Jesus uses these metaphors for things. In fact, then Thomas takes it literally and misunderstands. And you can hear that when he asks Jesus, but we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? As if Jesus is talking about some geographical location, like he's just heading down to Samaria or going to Galilee and they'll need a map to figure out how to get there. But what Jesus is talking about is a metaphorical way or path or route. And I want to pause here for a moment. This is a very rich and deep section of scripture and we usually read it at every funeral that we have. Jesus says, in my father's house there are rooms. The words used for that are words used for relationship. They carry a layered meaning. You've probably heard the phrase location, location, location. When it comes to these verses, add in relationship, relationship, relationship. Jesus is talking about both. He says, in my relationship with the Father, I am making room for you to be in that relationship, to be brought in. You can abide in that relationship too. That is beautiful. Amen. What a gift. We hear these verses today post-resurrection. We hear them through the lens of heaven 
through an eternal relationship with God that starts in this life and continues long after we die and never ends when we are with God in some new way in the care and love of God forever. These are the verses that we read to offer comfort to a family who's lost a loved one, reassuring them that a relationship with God does not end when we die. Because in Christ we are made, brought into that relationship, connected then with God forever. Jesus says there is room for all of us in that relationship. Remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. If you know it, you can say it with me. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's good news. That where I am, there you may be also. It is location and relationship with God. It's a both and. It's the cake and the frosting. And the same 9 by 13 together. This is the way and this is the reassurance. Jesus then says to those 11 gathered with him. You get down to verse 7. He says, if you know uh, me, you know my father. You know God and have seen God. And again, the disciples don't get it. Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father. Do you get that? To Jesus, he says, show us the Father. And Jesus almost sounds frustrated at this point in his response. Have I been with you this whole time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and the words that I say come from God. And if that's not enough, then believe me, because of the works that you've done, that I've done, the miracles you've seen, through me you'll be able to do that too, even when I'm gone. These are some of the highest statements of Christology in the New Testament. Christology is this Fancy 50 cent word for the study of Jesus Christ. When we talk about low Christology, we're talking about the humanity of Jesus. When we talk about high Christology, we're talking about the divinity of Jesus. And again, it's both in that same 9 by 13, right? That Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That is high Christology. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. So that's why Jesus says to Philip, how can you say to me, show us the Father? Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Jesus shows us in a real lived life who God is, what God is like, the very revelation of a very big God in the particularity and specificity of Jesus walking around in the Middle East, eating fish and going up mountains and riding donkeys and loving on people. That is the beauty and mystery of what we call the incarnation, God made flesh. Go back to the statement Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. What does that mean? We just heard it. Jesus reveals the truth 
about who God is. Jesus is how God makes sense to us. We need Jesus to help us understand God, not only for salvation, but to help us understand who God is. Jesus is how God makes sense to me, how God makes sense to us. And as a Christian, I'm accountable to that. I am accountable for that truth, to believe it, to share it, and to live it out. This is the way. Go back again to the statement. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the what? The life. Some folks, when they study this verse, say that it's all about salvation. There's a caution in that. Look at the deeper context there. Sometimes we get so concerned with salvation that we forget we're meant to turn that into a life. That we're meant to be transformed and changed by it. It's like that old saying you've probably heard that some folks are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. They say it's all about salvation. That is the way. And on the other hand, some say, well, it's all about a life of compassion and grace. That is the way. As United Methodists, we put both in the 9 by 13. God moves toward us first through grace in Jesus Christ. And that grace helps us respond to this truth with belief and a life. We experience what we call a relative and a real change. What's a relative change? That means a change in relationship. Think about relatives. That means a change in our relationship with God. We are saved. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are offered a new life. We are transformed. What's that real change? That's the change in who we are and who we are becoming. We are closer to God in this meaningful, purposeful life. Jesus models for us the application of it all, the so what of it, the here's what we do with it of it. He puts it all together in a life and models that way for us. He tells us in Matthew 25 that we will be judged by whether we gave water and food and compassion to others in need. We learn how to do life by what Jesus did and following him and his way. And when the hungry are fed, the thirsty given water, the sick and imprisoned visited, the lonely made family, the outcast brought in, the sinner forgiven, the tyrant transformed, the enemy reconciled and loved, where the fruits of the spirit are evident. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When we see that, we recognize a follower of the way. A life changed by and dedicated to Jesus Christ, our Savior God, made flesh. If we follow Jesus, that's our life. We follow his way. It's belief and a life lived. It's change in relationship and a change in who we are. It's the love of God and the love of others. The cake and the frosting. (laughs) Together, this is the way. Let me tell you a story about someone who got it. 
the seminary that I attended was surrounded by a residential area. And in that area, there were some halfway houses. And persons who lived in those halfway houses would come onto campus fairly often. They were immediately identifiable. They often were asking for money. There were certain benches where they would often sit. Their clothes were mismatched and didn't fit their frames. And they were often digging through the trash cans outside the library for a meal. They'd look for uh, in the trash somebody who hadn't finished a sandwich. They'd finish off the rest of it. They'd pick up the coffee cups and soft drink cups that were in there to see if they were completely empty. And if there was anything left in there, they'd drink it. The administration told us as students to avoid the persons from the halfway houses. Told us they were a liability, a safety hazard. Told us not to give them money. Not to encourage them to come. The library put in a security system. There's one man I remember in particular who would come very frequently to campus. He would try to try to start conversations and he tended to sit on the same bench. And I watched students coming out of class. They would walk around him, go out of their way to avoid that bench where he was sitting. I uh, shame to admit that I did the same thing as a female walking alone. I did the same thing. People did not invite him to chapel services. And I imagine he got some looks communicating that he was not wanted looks you realize that were coming from people who would be the future leaders of the church. Ouch. I remember one of the students was different. This good friend of mine, I'll call him Tony, he had a very different approach. Tony often stopped by McDonald's on his way to class. And one day, I remember he got two sandwiches. I thought he was especially hungry that day. Turns out he had something else in mind. So when he got to the bench where this gentleman from the halfway house was sitting, he sat down, offered the other hamburger to the gentleman, shook his hand, asked him his name, had a real conversation like one human being to another human being. The man's name, I'll call him Joe. Turns out they had something in common. They both liked Beatles music. They found it out in that first conversation. Weeks went by, hamburger after hamburger went by, and before long, Tony was taking Joe with him to go to McDonald's, listening to Beatles music along the way. Instead of avoiding Joe and going out of the way to do that, Tony went out of his way to build a relationship with Joe instead. What a novel idea. It sounds a lot like Jesus to me. That's the way, right? And ironically, sadly, here we were at seminary of all places, spending an exorbitant amount of time and money learning what it is to share the gospel, to know the gospel, to study the scripture, to learn how to interpret it and share it and teach it and what it means to do and be church. And failing miserably in the application of it right outside the doors after class. When other people saw Joe, they saw a man, 5'8", unkempt, a recovering addict, a former convict, 
a beggar, unemployed, a liability, a safety hazard. When Tony saw Joe, he saw someone who liked the Beatles and his quarter pounders with extra cheese and not so much mustard and ketchup. Someone who was a little shy, had a great sense of humor and an incredibly painful back story that Tony had the privilege to hear. A fellow brother in Christ he saw. A fellow child of God, someone for whom Jesus died on that cross. It was beautiful, really. Tony treated Joe with humanity and dignity and grace. No pretension, no judgment, no litmus test, no self-righteousness. This is the way for a follower of Jesus Christ. I used to watch Tony doing this, taking mental notes. This is how you meet someone where they are, as they are, and love them unconditionally like Jesus told us to do with grace that none of us can earn. If someone followed us around during the day, what would they learn from us about Jesus? If our children are watching us as they're growing up, what would they learn from us about the way of Christ in this world? How are we doing with all that? Being followers of the way, how is God, how is Christ inviting us to grow in relationship, in belief, in the lived out life. We all have room to grow in following Jesus who is the way and the truth of God and the life that we get to live now and eternally. Because when we get to share that cake, right? That's the best part. Jesus says, in my Father's house, There's a whole lot of room for all of us. And that is good news because a lot of people I know need hope right now. The hope that can come only from Jesus Christ. And you know the way. Let's share Jesus with one another by how we turn all of that belief into a life. This is the way. Thanks be to God. Amen. And amen.